All right, beloved, let's get back to our seats. Let's um, have a word of prayer and then get into this word. This word, Miss Gloria, ooh-wee, ooh-wee, bless my soul. Can we thank her again for that? Thank the Lord for sending her. That was, that was amazing. My soul was blessed. We definitely need a word from the Lord. Amen. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Can y'all hear me? Y'all good? Okay, cool. Father, Son and Spirit, thank you for the opportunity we have on a weekly basis to worship you free of any any bondage or chains or shame or rejection. Here in this place, on, at this particular time, we have the opportunity to sing praises and to unleash all that pent-up praise from all the good things that you've done for us throughout this week. We get to sing praises in remembrance of who you are and what you've done. We get to remember truth that will combat those lies that have been hurled at us all week. We get to bring, this is a place where we get to bring our brokenness and our lack of ability and our frailness and our our questions, our concerns, we get to bring all of that to the house of the Lord as the saints gather on the Lord's day. And we get to sing praises to you and we get to worship you and you are worthy to be praised. And even if we didn't have an abundance of those good things, so to speak, that we we think we needed, Lord, it doesn't change the fact that you are worthy of the praise from our lips. It is yours to own. It's yours to have, and we were created for the very purpose of worshiping and praising you. Lord, if we read in the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, it seems that for all of eternity, we will be doing what we were built to do, which is singing praises to our God, being in awe of who you are. Though we will be in your very presence, we will still be in awe of who you are. But Lord, I know for a fact, on the strength that you are a good and faithful God, that all of us have something to praise you for this morning. Amen. No one in this room is devoid of having something to sing praises to and to lift their hands high for. And so, Lord, right now, I, I pray that we would, we would give you your due and we would acknowledge what you've done and that we would give you all the praise and all the glory in all the honor that is due your name, you allowed us to breathe and walk and move this morning. Some people didn't wake up this morning. And some people woke up in a dire, dire state. But we, Lord, have woken up with strength in our muscles and air in our lungs. And far be it from us to not give you your due. Father, you are worthy of praise and glory and honor. Be glorified in this place. Thank you for the singing of the word of God. Thank you for the preaching of the word of God. Fill us with your spirit this morning. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Good morning, y'all. Pastor Canaan here. I'll go ahead and open up in your copy of God's word to the book of Galatians. We're going to continue in our series in the book of Galatians. We're in chapter three. And so far, I don't know about y'all, but I really enjoy the book of Galatians. I've been enjoying it. 
Um, and there's so much more. Each sermon could be four, four more. If y'all want me to do that, just say the word, I got you. I got you. You could, you could make a sermon out of almost every sentence in this book. Um, so far, we've seen that Paul is contending against false teachers in the area of Galatia, that, that area that those, those plethora of churches there are being swindled into believing that somehow, some way, in order for them to attain a right standing with God, they have to be circumcised, they have to essentially obey the law of Moses, and in many ways, they have to convert unto Judaism in order to be accepted by God. Paul, being the juggernaut that he is, steps forward and pens a letter contradicting that very truth, that no, you, you, you don't have to be circumcised in order to be right with God. Rightness with God comes from our standing with Jesus, not from our own ability. And last week, we talked about the idea that God's promises are not dependent on our ability to keep the law. If you remember, he made his promise on the strength of Abraham. And he said he promised Abraham in his what? Let's see if you remember. His, his seed. What was the Greek word? I just want to see if y'all going to say anything. I don't, I don't, I don't expect y'all to remember that. On his seed, right? His seed is geosperma, if you want to know. His seed. And he said it wasn't to his seeds, meaning all the physical descendants of Abraham who received the blessings. No, because Esau didn't get them. Ishmael didn't get them. So we know it's not that. He said, no, it's on the basis of his singular seed, who is Jesus. And anybody who's in Jesus is a recipient of the promises of God and the promise that he made to Abraham. This week, this time in this passage, we're going to answer a question that you should logically have. The question is, why then the law? If the law wasn't how we got the promises of God, keeping the law is not how we got, maintain or get the promises of God, then what's the purpose of the law to begin with? Because it doesn't save. Paul has repeated himself over and over. It doesn't save you. So what does it do? Beloved, let's look in the book of Galatians chapter 3. I have it on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed whom the promise was made would come. Remember that seed is Jesus. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. Is the law therefore contrary to the promise? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin's power, so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The, uh, the law then was our guardian until Christ, so that we would be, so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For through faith, you are all sons of Christ Jesus. So are the words of the living God. So the question is, why was the law given? There's a good hint there, right here in Galatians 3.19. Why then was the law given, Paul says? If obedience to the law doesn't save us, then why was it there? It was added for the sake of transgressions. What does this mean, beloved? 
It means that God's purposes for the law was to reveal to us how exceedingly sinful we are and to press home our need for a savior. That's the primary reason. That's not the only thing the law does, but that's the primary reason for the law. It was added to rip off any respectability you think you may have. It was to lay you bare and exposed for the fallen sinner that we are. That's the purpose of the law. Galatians, uh, Romans 3.20 says this, For no one will be justified in his sight by works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. What did the law do? The law revealed to you how sinful you were. You thought you was cool. Until scripture said, you know when it says don't, 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 don't do adultery? Well, you be lusting, right? Yeah, that's the same, doc. And then you're like, oh, wait. I thought I was good doing that, and I'm not. You thought you was okay. You know, it's funny. Throughout the generations, uh, there are people who will hold more so to the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And that's what Jesus came and he did. He said, you've heard it said this, but it's not just this. It's all that encompasses this category that you are... So when he talks about being faithful to your wife and not committing adultery, he's, he doesn't just have to say don't commit adultery with another woman. No, beloved, when your eyes lust after another woman, or ladies, when your eyes lust after another man, that whole category is a no-no in the sight of God. That's the, and that's why Jesus goes like, you've heard it said, yes, it's true, but it's bigger than what you might think. And what do we do as people? We hear something and we try to cut that thing as thin as possible so that we can do what we want to do. That's just what we do. That's what humans do. Well, well, you said don't do this. You didn't say don't do that. Well, the law comes and exposes that in us. What, what God created to reveal to us our sin, Satan and, and our flesh has turned into our means of salvation. Many of us believe or have believed at some point of our life that if we would just obey enough of God's law, we would be made right with him. We believe that, you believe that. If we could just do enough good, do enough right, maybe God will smile on me. You've thought that, I've thought that. And you know what's crazy? Even if you, have, even if you won't admit to thinking that, you live like that's true. Beloved, that's what we do. Can we, we admit that we live like it's true. We, we, we sin, we go to God, God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, right? And it's all things like are in keeping with moral rightness. I'm going to do all these things, and then, God, I'm going to earn my way back into your favor. That's how we live. It's not true. Take that off your shoulders, beloved. That's a, that's a form of bondage and a yoke that you don't, you're not built to carry. Because you know those promises you made to God saying that you're going to do? What happened two, three days later? Two, three weeks later? It's like your New Year's resolution, huh? Fell right off the edge real quick. Beloved, you're not built like that. That's what the law is, expo- is, to, is to expose in us. We're not built like that. Sin has done something to us. It did something to you. We have a desire and a propensity to do and be selfish, sinful, hungry people. That's, what, that's, that's our propensity. That's what we have. That's what we believe. That's what we do. You know, I always call Satan the great flipper. He takes something that God made for one reason, and then flips it so that it's, we use it for the exact opposite. It's funny, in Romans it says that God created, I mean, I'm sorry, the scriptures say that God created man in his image. 
Ever since that statement, we've been trying to return the favor and make God into our own image, right? That's why Satan comes and he said, God really said, he just don't want you to be like him, B. And then what's our response? Yeah, what's up with that? Let's flip this. I'm God. Let's flip this. I get what I want. I do what I want. It's me, 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 me. Then what happens? You fall off a cliff and then you wonder what happened. Because he had you driving blind, B. He had us drinking seawater. Y'all know about the science of seawater? Y'all about to learn it. (laughs) Think about how paradoxical this is. There are sailors who have died from hydration at sea. You're like, how? The sea is water. Dehydration is a lack of water. So how can a sailor at sea die from dehydration? What kind of water is is seawater? You see, I almost said it. I gave you all the answer. Dang. (laughs) Seawater, salt water, right? When you drink salt water, your kidneys are not built to match the content of the ocean salt water. The amount of salt water that you drink, your kidneys can't flush that much salt out fast enough for you to live. And so what your body does is it absorbs water from other organs and other areas in your body, effectively dehydrating you so that it can compensate and you can release all that salt through going to the bathroom. Here's the problem. When your body has a rapid release of liquid, what do you feel in your mouth? Thirsty. So what do you do? Drink more. This is what we do with the law. The law is seawater. We get more law, more obedience, more doing right, more, more, more. All it's doing is killing you because you can never attain it. It's killing you slowly. You're dehydrating yourself thinking that you can somehow attain justification and righteousness before God by obeying the law. And then we import that into our marriage. In order for me to love you, you have to obey the law. And then our marriages fall apart because we expect that they can do something they can't do. But as soon as we release our spouse from the bondage of our expectation and we love them despite that, freedom ensues, joy ensues, happiness, peaceful home ensues. God is here like, yo, I know I put the law there on purpose. And what it's there for is to show you that you can't be right with me on your own doing. You ain't built like that. I'm going to love you despite you. That's the most freeing kind of love you could ever receive. Because now you can be you. And you know he's going to chisel you, chisel you, chisel you slowly. You don't have to try to be what you're not. You don't have to try to earn your favor with him. So, beloved, if you find yourself trying to earn God's favor through doing some kind of moral rightness, that's not how it works, beloved. Everything else in our life, we've been told that this is how it works, but beloved, in the kingdom of God, it's not how it works. That's not to say that the law is bad. The law, in in actuality, the law is amazing. The law is grand. It's awesome. Oh, this is, they're accusing Paul, they're the, the, the Judaizers there are accusing Paul of just going against the law in, in his Torah. It says, they were shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and basically against our law and against this place. What more he, has, uh, what more, what more he also uh, brought Greeks into the temple and he has defiled this holy place. Paul wasn't teaching against anything. He was illuminating the truth of what was really there. That's what that, that thing was for. What is the law? Firstly, the law is a reflection of God's holiness. When you look at the law, remember the law is bigger than those Ten Commandments that everybody knows, right? It's broad, it's big. 
the law shows you just how holy this God really is. He's truly other. That, that's what the law is showing you. He's big time. That's one of the, the realities of the law. It shows you how holy he is. But another one is it, it was a means to protect the seed. Remember, God forbid the people of Israel from intermarrying, having children with other nations. Why? Because he's fulfilling his promise that through Abraham, he's going to have blessings for all people. And so he has to protect that, the line of that seed from Abraham all the way down to his birth from Mary's womb. So he protects that seed through his laws. Remain pure. Don't go, don't go defiling yourself. Don't become like the other nations. Why? He's protecting these things from getting in the way of his Savior coming. And he promised the Savior would come, so he's going to guard and protect every side until the Savior is born, until the seed comes. That's part of why the law was there. But the law's chief purpose, it was a schoolteacher, a taskmaster, that should create in us a longing to be saved. That's what the law should do. Beloved, this, the history is replete of people who have tried their hardest to obey all the laws of the Old Testament, and every last one of them has failed miserably. And what, have they, what was the, the result of their mouth? This dude's like Martin Luther, a whole bunch of cats. They, they, they try, 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 try. And then all of a sudden, they recognize this. I can't do it. I need help. Right? That, that's what it's for. Bring you. T- this is who you are. You can't do it. You need help. Yes. You see it now. That's what the law is supposed to do. It illuminates the reality and the ingrainedness of our sin. Now, beloved, what I want to do real quick, there's an excursus here. I want to define sin in a particular way to help because there are brothers and sisters in our community that will use the definition of sin in order to hoodwink you into thinking that only salvation is for the Jewish people. Beloved, that's not true. You see, they'll come to you and they'll say, well, what's the definition of sin? Most of us are trained to say this, the breaking of God's laws. Don't say that. Is it not true? No, it is true. But there's nuance to this. And you have to respect the nuance. Sin is the act of missing the mark. That's what it, that's what it, that's the broad concept. It's the act of missing the mark. But I want to put a verse on that. So here's the verse. This is the verse you quote. What is sin? All unrighteousness is sin. What is somebody ask you, what's sin? You say sin is all unrighteousness. That's what sin is. Beloved, this is how it will go. It'll go, well, what's sin? Sin's the breaking of God's law. Well, if God's law was given to these people and not these people, then how can you how could how do you sin if it wasn't given to you, Gentile? And then you stuck. Right? If the law wasn't given to you, we don't break China's laws. China's laws are in China. Right? We can do we we American law, right? So, so if God's law wasn't given to the Gentiles, then how did the Gentiles sin? If the Gentiles don't sin, it's proof positive that the Savior, the salvation from that sin isn't for you. It's for us. You are excluded, period. We have the ability to repent. That's the argumentation. But beloved, that's not true. And that's because we've had a wrong definition of the law and a wrong definition of what sin was. And we fall into the trap. There's nuance. Sin is all unrighteousness. Here's kind of an illustration. When you miss the mark, you're out here. But when you hit the mark, it's anything that's just, anything that's righteous, anything that's glorious. That's where God is. He's he's on the mark. It's right. It's just. It's holy. That's not sin. That's good. That's I don't know what other word to use for good. Help me. Huh? It's Gucci. I'm an old man. I can't say that. You got to give me a dictionary word. 
Did I say it? Dang. I'm one of them dudes, them old guys with the real tight, tight skinny jeans on trying to be young. That's me trying to say Gucci. I don't belong saying Gucci. When you miss the mark, you sin. But when you're on the mark, you're doing things that are just and righteous and glorious. You're in, you're in God's will. So, oh, here's some examples of that. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. Remember, the bullseye is just things, righteous things, right? Good things. It's sin to know what's good and not do it. That's sin. Which means if you turn the blind eye to evil that you know exists. Yeah. See how easy it is to be guilty? Because we drive these streets seeing all kind of evil actions, whether implicitly or not. We see it, we do nothing. Do we have to bear that weight? There's more on that. But that's seeing the good and not doing it. All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. That was in that bullseye, all things that are glorious. That's where God is. And then Psalm 89 put them in a, put them in a, in a pair for us. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Faithful love and truth goes. Uh, faithful love and truth go before you. But there's righteousness and justice. Those are things that hit the mark. Those are things that God loves, right? And then there are missing the mark, not doing what is good and right towards God and another. Beloved, I don't know if you know this, but you can sin not only against God, but against people, right? We see this in, from Pharaoh's own mouth, a, a Gentile sinner, right? He says, Pharaoh urgently sent to Moses and Aaron. He said, I've sinned against the Lord, your God, and against you, right? And we'll see that in other places where the where, where um, Oh, I had it in my head. Somebody said it. It'll come back when I'm not thinking about it. Uh, where it says, oh, it was, um, nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> That's just an example of being sin against God and people. And since our birth, beloved, we are born with this, with this inclination to do selfish, evil deeds. It just, we have it. Our kids have it. We have it. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. It's, it's spread around. Our nature, our sin nature, causes us to gravitate naturally towards selfishness, envy, pride. Even when we're trying to do good things, beloved, we oftentimes do them with the evil bent that we might receive or steal glory from the God who gave us the breath to do what he's called us to do. Some of our good deeds are just to either make us feel good, which is oftentimes the number one reason why we do good things for people. It makes me feel good. That's great. How about it gives God glory first? How about you do it for his glory first? If it makes you feel good in the meantime, amen. That's even better. You double, you, you hit doubled on that. But how about we consider him who made us first? The apostle Paul alluded to this when he talked about his own propensity to sin. He said, for I know that nothing good lives in me. This is Paul talking. The apostle sent by Jesus proclaimed the gospel cat. He's like, ah, dog, ain't nothing good in me. That is in my flesh. He says, for the desire to do what is good, desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. He's just acknowledging his own depravity, his own sickness, his own like, man, I'm, I'm incapable. I'm not able. If you want just a nursery definition of sin, I don't have it up here, but this is what I use at my house with my kids, along with that verse, John, uh, John 5, 1 John 5, 17. Anything contrary to God's character or command. 
Right? That's just a simple, anything contrary to God's character or his command, you've sinned. But there's another term for sin that is more technical, and it's the term transgression. I know I got real professory, just you're going to need this one day, trust me. You're going to run into somebody, they're going to say this, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, he's, yep, take notes. Transgression. Now, transgression is what you normally are alluding to when you say sin. A transgression is the intentional breaking of God's direct spoken command. That's a transgression. Beloved, I make that up. That's the dictionary definition of transgression. To violate a law, a command, a moral code. That's what transgression is. To intentionally go against what was clearly spoken. Okay? So the transgression, it's breaking, it's doing, it's committing a crime. Right? Knowledgeable. Committing a crime. And then, beloved, there's another one, which is iniquity. These are all terms. Now, beloved, some of this is semantics. Okay, this is some, some of it is just, oh, this word means, they all kind of mean the same thing. Yes, but if we're not careful, we end up using them wrong, and then we get twisted into a, we get twisted into a knot not knowing how to untie it. Iniquity, to commit sin or transgression without a desire to repent, to attempt to cover up one's sin and to keep it from, and to keep from acknowledging it. That's iniquity. Right. This is what happened with David and Bathsheba. Y'all remember the story? Y'all remember? Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you even if you said yes. I don't care. <laughs> King David's on the roof. He sends his, his army off to war. And in this era, kings go to war with their army. But David's like, nah, y'all good. Y'all go ahead. I'm going to go upstairs on the roof. Kick it on the roof. That's normal. People kicked it on the roof. I don't know what that's like, but that'd be dope. So he's kicking on the roof, and he looks over, and he sees a woman bathing from her uncleanliness. Scripture said, use your imagination. And he sees her, and he's like, ooh-wee. Because as far as I'm going, the kid's over there. He says, ooh-wee, go get her. And he has his way. Can I put it like that? She can't say no. He's the king. You say no to a king, off with your head. I don't even know if she tried. Don't know. Text doesn't say it. But she doesn't have the option. King has his way, sends her away. A little bit, la- little bit later, she sends word to the king. Oh, my king, oh, glorious one, oh, high one who had his way with me. Hey, I'm pregnant. King starts to panic. This is King David, the man after God's heart. See, his, his sin didn't define him before God anyway. Whew. Yo, bro, I told you, sermons, there's a lot of sermons in this. Okay. David panics, says, go get Uriah, her husband. Her husband, she was married. Go get her husband, bring him here. And he goes and he says, brother, you've been working real hard out on the front lines trying to have, on this war. I appreciate you, doc. Come on, let's have a drink. Let's kick back. Let's chill. Yeah, drink that up. Yeah, here's another one. Yeah, here's another one. Tip that back. Here's another one. Get some drunk. He said, man, why don't you go home and just celebrate with your wife? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, dog? Go home, get that thing. What does Uriah do? He goes to sleep on the king's foot on the king's doorstep. Wake up in the morning. Why are you still here on my door? What you doing? You ain't go home? You ain't take care of what I told you to take care of? I can't dishonor you, king. I fight for you. I can't go home. My, my homie's out there fighting. I can't go home and enjoy pleasure. I gotta, I, I'm, a, I'm a soldier. Where do you think King David's heart's going now? It doesn't break. He thinks of more ways. His ways fail. Eventually, he says, all right. I got to get rid of this dude. So he takes him, sends message to the, to the general. 
put him at the front lines, him and about, I forget the number of people, him and a handful of soldiers, send him to the front lines, and when you give the word, everybody else fall back and let them run into the fray and die. So David has his way with a woman, makes a man get drunk, kills not only Uriah, but the whole squad that rolled with him in the front lines into that, into that war. Drunkenness, adultery, murder. He committed iniquity. Why? He tried to cover that mug up. And he tried several ways to cover it up. And guess what? The scriptures allude to us this, that he was never going to say anything. God sent a prophet named Nathan to roll up on him, and Nathan gave him a story, and he said, oh, what if there was a guy, and he took somebody else's lamb or sheep, and he took him for himself, though he was plenty rich, could have had any other sheep he wanted, but he took that poor man's sheep, and he took him for himself. What do you think we should do with that dude? And David was like, yo, off with his head, kill him. And Nathan's like, bro, that's you. You're the man. And David was like, but until that moment, David wasn't going to say anything, iniquity. And then look what David wrote later. He said, how joyful is the one whose transgression, he broke God's law intentionally, is forgiven. The one whose sin, he committed unrighteousness, was covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity. He wasn't going to reveal it. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now look, here he goes explaining it. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my moaning all day long. And for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained and as the summer's heat. And then freedom came. And then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. See? You see that, that, that connection? He, the, the, the release of the concealment. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. And God's favor remained on him by faith. Now, that does, it's not a license to go do what you want to do as if you can play fast and loose with the grace of God. When God has his hold on you, he begins to transform and convict. And if you're truly his beloved, he just might send a prophet to check you. And you don't want that. That must have hurt when Nathan wrote up on him. I know that's an excursus, brothers, but I just wanted to give you all that so you know when you run up on somebody who says that, what's sin? Sin is all unrighteousness. 1 John 5, 17. Don't get caught up. You get caught up. That's an apologetic. If you know what I'm talking about, you know why I'm saying that. Galatians 3, 19. Why then was the law given? Yes, sir. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions. Notice this bold word, until. Until. It was added for the sake of transgressions. Until the seed whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. See, this part's italicized, beloved. That's because I'm going to address that next week. Okay? But it doesn't impact the interpretation of the passage. It says, the law was given for the sake of transgressions until. The word until, in signifi- the word until signifies that the law and the covenant has a point of fulfillment. Okay, that's what that word until means. There is a point in which this covenant and this law will be fulfilled. When I go to do homework with my children at home and it's time for them to do their daily reading, I say do reading until the alarm goes off. Once the alarm goes off, they are set free from the, from the, from the law that I've given them. Sit down and read. When it goes off, you are now free from reading. Simple concept. And it's the same thing here. The word until signifies that the covenant that the covenant of Moses, that the, perp, the covenant of Moses is 
um, the purposes of Moses's covenant have been completed. Its duty was to point us to the seed who was the savior of the world. And now the savior has come and now the law has been fulfilled. Beloved. Galatians 3.21, it says, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Remember last week we talked about the promises. Now, does the law impede them? Does it get in the way? Does it set them aside? No. He said that last week. He says it again. Absolutely, emphatically, no. The law has nothing to do with God's promise. Praise God. That's why David's still good. Because the law had nothing to do with the promise. He broke the law, transgressed, had iniquity, but the promise remained. It says, for, notice another bold word, if. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. The promise of God to Abraham and his seed are put aside despite, I'm sorry, the promises of Abraham and his seed are not put aside, nor are they contradicted by the law. If, beloved, grammatically, if is a conjunction, uh, a conjunction of condition, which basically means if the law could save, it would have saved somebody by now. If it could, then it would. But what's the implication? It can't, so it won't. It's unable to. It's like when you have, I use this analogy all the time, you go out to your lawn, it's time to start cutting grass now, right? The season has come to cut your grass, and you bring your vacuum out there like it's supposed to do something. <laughs> it ain't built to do that, but you, you're going to do, you're just wearing yourself out, thinking it's going to work. Beloved, it's never going to work. It wasn't built to do that. All you're going to do is break the vacuum. The law wasn't built to save you. And you keep pushing that mother across your moral, your moral compass like it's going to do something for you. It not. The spirit of God will keep you straight with God as you are right in prayer. And his word, his, his character will guide you and lead you. But beloved, the second you think that you can keep it perfectly and that's how you attain righteousness with God, you move in that vacuum real fast across that lawn and it ain't working. The law was not designed to save. The law was not designed to make you right before God. This is what the law was designed to do, to imprison you and to take the lid off of your respectabilities. That's what it's designed to do. The law should never make you feel good. It should never give you hope. It should never be something that you're placing your trust in. But if you view the law as a means of gain, the law should make you feel terrified, broken, scared, hopeless. It should make you feel bad. That's what the law should do. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death. You also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You used to belong to this, to, to this bondage, to this law. You've been set free now. Some, now you belong to somebody else. You belong to him who raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. That's, that's who you belong to, him who was raised from the dead. Verse 5. For when you were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. That's what the law does. And if you've ever tried to keep the law in order to be right with God, you ever made those promises I talked about earlier, God, I'm going to do better, and then you don't, and then God, I'm going to do better, and then you don't, and then God, I'm going to do better, and then you don't, you felt like that. This thing's producing death in me. I got to stop this. But now we have been released from the law. We need to live like that now, beloved. Free from it. Since we have died to what held us. 
so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. The law should make you feel like you pulled up to that store, put all kind of groceries in it, pulled out your bank card, swiped that mug, and it said insufficient funds. Y'all know that feeling? Don't, don't you all lie. Y'all sitting here like, I don't even want to say nothing. Don't you lie to me. You all did that. I've done that multiple times, thinking I was good. It's a slack. All right, we ain't going to take this. We ain't going to get this. We ain't going to get this. Bring that up again. Bring that up again. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. You ever uh, been to the zoo, beloved? And I know you all have been to the zoo. You ever been to the zoo, and you get to that glass where, like, the gorilla is right on the other side, or the lion is, like, right on the other side? You ever done that? That's incredible, right? That feeling is crazy. Now, I know y'all, right, because I do the same thing. I roll up in there like I ain't scared, like that gorilla can't break that glass. That's what I'm thinking. Have you ever looked into the eyes of that gorilla? And you felt that, right? You, you have, come on now, have y'all done that? Or the lion, if you haven't done it, go do it. And then you're going to fail it. You're going to come back to church. He was right. <laughs> you walk up to the glass, and the gorilla just staring at you. And you look him in the eyes. Your, your spine starts to shiver, right? You feel fragile. It's not, until you f- it's not until you look into the eyes of the beast that you realize how fragile you truly are. Like, you think you're good until you look at the beast directly. And once you look at it directly and you see its stature and its size, and it ain't playing no games, he's angry, he's stuck in there. And you just might be the way out, right? And you feel it, and all of a sudden you're like, whew. And you leave it, okay, kids, time for the next one. And you feel it in your spine, like, ooh, that was scary, right? Beloved, that's the feeling you should get by beholding the law. If you have not had that feeling by beholding the law, you have not come to terms with the power and the magnitude of what the law should brought in you. You should feel fragile at the sight of the law. You should look at it and be overwhelmed, ruined, undone. It is loose, and it's after me. I've seen the beast. It's unattainable. I can never conquer it. It's big, it's strong, it's mighty, it's holy. I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm small, I'm short, I can't do it. Beloved, apply that principle to your life. Apply it to your kids. Apply it to your spouses. Apply it to the people you're dating. No one will live up to the standard you've held them to. And you look at the standard, it's too big, it's too much, it's too lofty, I can't do it. I quit. I'm just testifying, y'all, that's me. I'm that way. I know something my wife wants. I can do nine of them. If I miss the tenth, I'm like, oh, I'm the worst. I can't live with myself, and I'm broken. Am I lying? See, I be telling y'all all my stuff up here. You know why I can tell it to y'all? Because y'all the same way. I don't care what y'all think anyway. But that's the reality. It's not until God uses the precision of the law to reveal our pride and our inflammatory anger. It's not until we... God uses the exactitude of the law to unmask our false sense of respectability and self-sufficiency. This is what it does. It's not until we are brought low by the law that we see the need for Jesus to be lifted high as our hope and salvation. If you have not looked the law in the eyes and allowed it to do what it does to you, you'll never appreciate the gospel of Christ. Amen. It's like being raised and having, you guys are all raised wealthy. Beloved, I'm going to make this bet. All of you probably have milk in your fridge. And if not, it's not as a lack of ability to purchase it. I was hanging out with my homeboy at his house. His, his family hails from something that we would call, we would deem a third world country. And we're hanging out at his house, and his relative 
found, found a way to get a ticket, came to the United States, and I was at my friend's house when he came into the door, and we were hugging him and, and loving on him and talking, and they were translating for me because I didn't speak the language, and we just having a ball. And he was like, man, I'm hungry. Do you have food? He said, yeah, go in the fridge. The, the young man opened the fridge, saw the milk, and started crying. And he was like, cousin, you made it. You made it, cousin. Look, 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 look. And we're like, what? He's like, you have milk. You have milk. Beloved, we, we have a skewed perspective. He sees milk and he's like, bro, you did it. You, you made it. He appreciated the, the, the little things that, 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 my, that my friend had in his fridge. And, and growing up in America, we don't appreciate what the law has truly done to us, nor do we appreciate what the gospel has done and effect to the law because we're raised in a culture where we take the law and the commandments and our depravity and we shove it under a rug and say everything we do is good. Anything we want is fine. We celebrate sin now. It's a great thing. It's a happy thing. No wonder we don't appreciate the gospel. We don't even appreciate, we don't even know what sin is doing to us. It's making us exceedingly sinful. We've grown numb to what we have in Christ because we don't appreciate not having it. That's why we don't sing praises with our lips. Yeah, God is good. You ever been saved from something detrimental? Your joy is ecstatic at that point. But if you never knew the threat, you're never ecstatic about it. Beloved, the threat is real. The law is strong. It's powerful. It's mighty. You can't stack up. I need help. Jesus comes and provides the help. Then you say, praise God, I needed the help. I was going to die without the help. This is what the scripture did. We're closing out. But the scripture in prison, this is why this is why the scripture does this, too, because we celebrate everything. Look, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe. The scripture makes darn certain to make sure that you know how sinful you are because you're not going to acknowledge how sinful you are. And that's Old Testament. Look at Psalm 14, 6, 14, 1 through 6. The fool says in his heart, already somebody's a fool, says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race and sees that there is one who is wise, one who seeks God, but all have turned away. All, like, all alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Beloved, what's the psalmist doing? He's taking all of y'all respectability and just, ah, look at what you are so that you can look at who he is. You see that? You see how he does it? God's move. Will evildoers never understand? They consume my people and they consume bread. They do not call on the Lord. Then they will be filled with dread, for God is with those who are righteous. You sinners frustrate the plans of the oppressed. And the Lord, but the Lord, oh, notice that. Who's the refuge? Not the law. The Lord is, is refuge. The scripture is pointing out that we are helpless apart from God. And that's what the, our text in Galatians is continuing to say. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin's power so that the promises might be given on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus to those who believe, contrary to the promises being received by the law. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned, when? Until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. 
until Christ, which means if you don't have Christ, you're still in bondage, homie. You see that? But those are free. Those are some people who's free now so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. We are what? No longer under any guardian. We belong to Christ now. For, th for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. You're not just his creation when you're in Christ. You are his son. Not all of us are his beloved family. Verse 24 tells us that the law used to be our guardian, used to be our schoolmaster, used to be our tutor, some of your translations may say, whatever that thing that was put over us, but now our jurisdiction is under Christ. Now, what does this text tell us? What does it tell us first about us? It tells us that we are trapped under sin's power because of the vastness of the law. Okay, all of us are trapped under his power. That's, the, that's what this passage is telling us. But what does it tell us about the law? The law was never designed to make one right before God. It was designed to push you to the point, or push you to the one who can make you right before God by exposing how exceedingly sinful you truly are. So when you look at the law and you read the Old Testament commands, they are built to reveal to you how exceedingly sinful you are and how much you need a savior. That makes you more gracious to those around you because you are now, because of your acknowledgement and acceptance of Christ, are a recipient of grace. Y'all see how that works? I need that right now, because I don't be, you can ask me, sometimes my kids make me ungracious, right? I, it's just, why? Because Satan makes me look at something else. And then I look at my sin, I look at what God has done, and automatically I'm like, I can't do that. I didn't receive that. It tells us that we are exceedingly sinful, the law, what does it tell about the law? That the law was never de uh, designed to make you right with God. It's to point your eyes somewhere. And what does it tell us about the seed? It tells us that this seed, who is the person of Jesus, he's the one that the law is pushing us to. He's the one who's able to make us right before God. How does he do that? By sacrificing his own life upon a cross and substituting his righteous life for your unrighteous life. The great exchange. Earth's worst for heaven's best. That's what happened. And you receive his righteousness through faith, through belief in him. His spirit indwells you, and he begins to chisel and transform you from the inside. Not the outside changing the in, it's the inside changing the out. It starts in the heart before it comes to the hands. Through faith in Jesus, you are more than just God's creation. You are God's beloved son or daughter. Beloved, if you've been living a life in, the, in bondage under the law, I want you to hear this one good news. You have been set free from the law. We are now under the rulership of another, and his name is Christ Jesus, the gentle, the powerful, the merciful, the grand, and the judge. Faith in him makes us right. Lord, there's so much more to say on this passage, but I pray that what was said um, hit the heart of somebody, and that they are able to apply some truth from this sermon uh, to their own life. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go throughout our week, um, we would not only be recipients of your grace, but dispensers of it. We wouldn't be scared uh, to be wrong. We wouldn't be scared to repent. We wouldn't be scared to turn from the way in which we thought was right. And we would uh, turn to, um, to you for, for grace and mercy, but more so, Lord, that we would be humble enough to turn to one another and admit that we have sinned against one another and that we are in need of grace and favor towards one another um, as we display the favor of God. Father, I confess that when my eyes are not fixed on you, I am the most vitriolic dude. I, I just, I don't like anybody. I don't want to be around anybody. Every, anybody can get it. 
Um, but when I remember the truth of what you've done for me and who I am, and it's funny, these theological truths have real life application. Because of who I am in Christ and what you've done, I have the capability to be patient with my wife and my kids. I have the capability to love my brother and my sister. Even if I've been wronged by them, I have the ability to show them grace because I've wronged you by transgressing your law. And yet, even so, you showed me grace. And so, Lord, help me and help us to live out the implications of this text. And I pray that not only did our minds grow, but our hearts grew closer to you. Fill us with your, with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.